Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. I think from the systems and, and setup, it's, it's given me a, a chance to realize that documentation is uh, incredibly important and just creating it isn't enough. Refreshing it and keeping it up to date is, is also uh, more than half the battle. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Now today we're joined by Zane McCarthy who has experience in sales, selling guitars specifically, is a Salesforce admin. I love talking with Salesforce admins so we can actually try and dig into some technical stuff and now is leading sales operations at Fieldwire. Zane, welcome to the show. Tom, great to be here. Thanks for having me. It looks beautiful behind you. This is Phoenix, Arizona, right? It sure is. We're just starting to cool down now. Mm. Okay, so before we kick off, I'm actually going to quote Zane on, on what he mentioned before we started recording, which was that Phoenix, Arizona has, we think, 350 days of sunshine per year, which would be about 98%. So if that's the case, then the next episode you see may be me actually in Phoenix, as opposed to being in the English countryside. But anyway, Vane, let, let's dig into to sales ops. Um, I'd like to understand why you transitioned from, from selling into, onto the ops side. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, um, it was really the realization that as you're selling, you're only as good as the infrastructure around you. So I think that's never more clear than in retail. Um, the, the support of your operations team, whether that be merchandising, whether that be new initiatives and, and like receiving the goods that you're actually selling. You can't sell anything unless it, uh, unless it gets to the floor. So working with a lot of really great ops professionals uh, at Guitar Center, let me see how operations really does everything uh, that a salesperson does, except for picking up the phone or talking to the person uh, and, and selling. It's a really great extension of uh, a sales team. 
I, I love that quote. You're, when you're selling, you're only as good as your infrastructure. And it totally makes sense. If you don't have the process in place to ena- enable people to succeed in sales, then they're probably going to be like 50% is effective. So that's a really good, it's a really good sales pitch for sales operations. And it's a really good start to the episode as well. So thanks for that. Um, zooming in into today now and the current business, can you just give us a sense and the audience a sense of, of how many reps you're working with and then how, the size of your, your ops team? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm lucky that I've got a great business operations team um, that kind of acts as an extension of, of operations in general at Fieldwire. Um, but the sales ops team is one. Uh, that's me. And we've got, uh, I guess, about 15 sales reps today across a couple different teams. Got it. And how many people in the business operations team? Um, I think we've got about four people there from associate to, to some managers. Um, they stay very busy keeping the, the trains running on time, but are gracious enough to help me out when I need it. Um, we have some, we have like a success operations and a marketing operations uh, hire as well, which also super helpful. Uh, easy to make collaborative work across the funnel when you've got a couple different touch points. Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 those two resources, are they part of the business ops team? Are they also separate? They're also separate. We're, uh, we're all separate here. But right. very... Awesome. And then next, could you just give the audience an, an idea of the, the current sales tech stack that you guys are running? Yeah, I think, you know, I can get in the weeds in this. We use Salesforce um, as our really core system of record. And you know, we've got all the all the fun cadencing, click-to-call uh, dialers that, that go on top of that. But uh, as you mentioned, I am a Salesforce admin and love getting into, into the, the functionality, both core and how you can extend Salesforce using some different packages. Um, so that's really the, the heart of, of what we're trying to accomplish in the tech stack. Awesome. Well, and you, you became a Salesforce admin after deciding to move into ops. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of, uh, of concurrent um, activities there. I think I would be remiss if I shout out uh, the Salesforce trailhead. That's what really gave me uh, an introduction to, uh, to Salesforce and allowed me to provision an organization and, and start messing around on the back end. And I think it really reinforced some ideas I had around making things easier, making things just work uh, so that the people who are focused on selling can focus on selling and, and not some of that administrative uh, legwork. Exactly. Now, if we look at the last six months, it'll be good to understand how you've managed to adapt to a more remote sales operation? I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a good question. Um, it's, been, it's been challenging, I think, really in the, in the regard of not being able to get tactile with someone uh, face-to-face. I am very, I'm, I'm pretty expressive. You're seeing my hands move around. Um, and being able to talk to someone face-to-face and and explain really the why behind we do certain things uh, has been a little bit of a challenge for me as we move remote. 
uh, also about 50% of our entire company has been hired since we were all remote. Wow. So there's folks that we haven't actually had FaceTime with yet. Um, and that's been a little bit of a struggle as well. Uh, from, the, from the more personal side, I think from the systems and, and setup, it's, it's given me a, a chance to realize that documentation is uh, incredibly important and just creating it isn't enough. Refreshing it and keeping it up to date is, is also uh, more than half the battle. Uh, but I think leveraging, you know, video chats, even phone calls for a little break of, of video and good documentation has allowed us to integrate these new folks pretty well. Um, still missing the, the in-person uh, experience a little bit, though. Yeah, you are the first person, I think, in a long time that has introduced the idea of documentation in on this podcast. And I think it's so, so important. And it didn't really click with me that it is more important when you're remote, because obviously you can't explain to someone a process like you would do normally in the onboarding time when someone joins, because maybe you're not having that amount of contact. So I, that, that's a really massive, massive point. So apart from increasing a focus on documentation, and obviously using video software. Have you made any other changes, whether it's technology, cultural, or operational? Um, I think the, the biggest changes that you haven't mentioned are really just around connecting outside of work. Uh, not necessarily outside of work hours, but finding time to get to know people and, and understand where they're coming from really lets you make some comparisons or analogies that speak to them instead of ones that that speak to to you personally so i our, our business ops team's done a great job of of trying to connect everyone in the organization in some areas that aren't necessarily focused on on work and i think that's helped our communication as a whole yeah that that totally makes sense what what is the view on remote at the moment? Are, are people coming back into the office? Do you, like what do you think will happen in a year? Let's say if there's a vaccine, you think there'll be more remote work in the business? I hope so. Um, I love the idea of of having that office environment for certain events, um, sales forecasting, and and pipeline reviews. For me, are, are very in person events. Uh, but I, I think that if I've learned anything over the last six months, it's uh, certain people can be incredibly, incredibly productive from, from home. Um, and I would never want to handicap those people that do thrive in that environment, mm. uh, by, by forcing them into a, either a longer commute or, uh, you know, just life with, with family. But I'd, I'd love to see a split, some, some kind of 60-40 remote in-person. Yeah, it's, it's about, it, and maybe it's different for each person, but I totally agree. Some people are going to smash everything out of the park when they're on their own, but some people or some events are or meetings are much more effective in person and specifically forecasting. So let's move on to that. Um, has the forecast changed over the, the past few months and, and how do you manage that? Uh, do you mean like the process or 
both actually. So, so the, the actual forecast itself and then also the way that you forecast. Sure. Um, I think we've been lucky at Fieldwire selling into construction uh, companies. A lot of these people are, are still out on the job site um, and, and our forecast hasn't been impacted uh, as much as other verticals. Uh, the process itself has been a little bit more iterative. I think we've been trying to lean on the reps individual feeling about certain deals more than any kind of uh, stage or progression mm. uh, and, and trying to leverage their connection with their buyer to really say, this is, this is a, a human interaction. It's a, it's a, it's a personal connection that you have with the people that you're, you're selling to. And we're trying to bring that into the forecasting process to give us a better indication of where we think we're going to land. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Like old data points may not be as reliable, and actually, the, not the gut feeling, but the opinion of the rep can hold more weight, I guess. Um, and it's great to hear that the the forecast itself wasn't massively impacted. I guess construction people are like more more key workers, and therefore have to keep working, and therefore the, the need for the products is still there. So that's awesome to hear. Um, Moving on to KPIs, throughout your career uh, in sales ops, what has been a, a KPI that you always look forward to tracking or that you get the most value from? I think that's a, I think that's a great question. I've, I've flip-flopped a lot on this, uh, but I keep coming back to qualified pipeline. At some stage, you're going to say, this is, this is validated pipeline value and you can really easily trace back the source of that pipeline value. You can look forward to see how it converts um, and it tells you the health of your business forward, you know, the next month, the next quarter. Uh, it's got to be qualified pipeline for me. Got it. And so that's, if you could only measure one metric for the rest of your sales ops career, it would be qualified pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to choose, speak to the fire, qualified pipeline. That would be it. And has that remained as valuable throughout the past six months? I think it has. Uh, it's still, it really gives you a good idea of, you can see where it's coming from. Uh, you can maximize different channels and, and you can... Know, look backwards and, and say, were, were my assumptions correct? Uh, did that convert at a, at a pretty good rate? Um, so I find it the nice middle ground between you know, uh, lagging and meeting API. Yeah. And then a, a different question. I'm not sure if I've asked anybody this on the podcast before. Do you think that it's necessary that a sales ops leader in an organization is also the Salesforce admin? Um, That's a great question. That's something that I've put a lot of thought into. Um, I've I've worked at a a couple different organizations now where um, Salesforce administrator can mean a lot of different things depending on the organization's goals and, and where the role sits itself. I think that if you are 
going to be a, a team of one. You might not need to be a, an admin, but you definitely need to have some, some serious Salesforce chops. Uh, I, it's, I, can, I can argue both sides of that one all day. I think for me, it's, it's more about the, the technical debt that you inherit as a Salesforce administrator and the size of your organization. Once you start getting north of 150 full-time employees, if 50 or 70% of those have, have Salesforce licenses um, and you are stepping into an environment that has been configured by multiple different people, a Salesforce administrator turns into a full-time job very quickly. So uh, long, long story short, it depends. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good answer. Um, final two questions. Who uh, has been the biggest inspiration so far in your sales ops career? This is, a, this is an interesting one for me, uh, having worked really under operations leaders uh, and not sales operations specific. Uh, I've, I've had a couple really great general ops leaders um, that can provide a, a framework of just, this is how we as an organization are going to complete projects and being able to really effectively articulate what you're doing across the organization to ensure that there's no dependencies or that all stakeholders are informed. I think that framework is something that I've taken um, with me in every other role that I've, I've walked into. Uh, so it would be uh, Dave Morell. Shout out to Dave. And then who is the, the kind of sales ops ninja that you would like to take for lunch, wh whether you, you know them or not? I think, uh, I think that would be Matt Bertuzzi. Uh, he wrote uh, a book called Lightning Sales Ops. I've heard of this, yeah. Great, criminally underrated, or we <laughs> not in the in the op circles, but uh, I think that book really opened my eyes to not needing to be perfect uh, in certain aspects, and and kind of splitting the difference and saying this is going to get us ninety percent of the way there. Don't as an admin or as an ops professional, don't kill yourself to get that extra 10% when we know that we're going to capture the majority of, um, of this information. Criminally underrated. I love that phrase. Um, Zane, I think the, the biggest thing I'd like the audience to take away from this interview is probably the, the first thing you said about the infrastructure. And I actually think it's a great quote. Maybe we'll, we'll put the quote somewhere around the episode. But a salesperson or the sales team is only as effective as the structure that's built around them. And, that, and the, the, the sales operations resource is really the engineer responsible for building that structure. So I think that's the idea I'd love the audience to, to take away. So Zane, thank you so much for, for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Great to chat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe 
rate and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com. Thank you.